And so most of our emotions get channeled through that anger lens. And that anger lens is kind of intoxicating because when I, if I really give in to anger, I feel like I'm in control. And partly because the anger dynamic is such that when I'm angry, everything is someone else's fault. joined by Dr. John Schinnerer, who is the host of the Evolved Caveman podcast, which I definitely recommend. And today we're going to be talking about what sort of prevents a man from owning his power. And I'm very interested, um, John, in hearing your own personal story and then your thoughts on the subject, because you've worked with a lot of men in addition to being a man. Sure. So you want me to start out with a story? I would love to hear, yeah, just your personal journey, because I think every man's journey is different. But okay. in terms of you owning your power, you know, you're someone that I I look up to and, and see as a man who is owning his power and is in his power. And I think you have some really interesting thoughts about what a false sense of power is and what real power is. And so I just sort of love to hear your own personal journey. All right. Well, um, thank you for the compliment. Uh, Let me go way back just to begin, because I've never told this story publicly before. But I remember when I was, I think I was five. And I remember looking out the front window of my house and there were older boys across the street playing soccer on a front lawn. And I was just sitting there watching and I was really content to just watch. And my mom comes up and she goes, do you want to play soccer? And I looked up at her with fear and I was like, no. What, why don't you go play soccer? No, 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 I'm good. Nope, nope. And she literally, after we argued for a bit, she picked me up, put me out of the front door, closed the front door behind me and locked it. And I was, <laughs> I was terrified. I was like, I mean, I remember pounding on the front door. Let me in, let me in. No, go play soccer. I was like, shit, or whatever you say when you're five. So I reluctantly walked across the street. And I mean, these guys outsized me by double. Um, they were all at least a year old or if not four. And so I just said, you know, can I play? And they said, yeah, sure. So I started playing and I remember I, I scored a goal on kind of a slide tackle kick and everyone cheered and I felt really good. I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And that was kind of my first memory of getting past my own fear, my own anxiety. And, you know, I think for many years, my primary, my signature emotion was fear slash anxiety slash worry. Um, so fast forward, um, you know, my parents are kind of hard driving, overachieving. So I thought, well, if I'm going to get their attention and their love, I should do the same thing. Plus I don't like getting yelled at. And so my senior year, I was student body president. I was captain of three varsity teams. I was taking advanced courses and I'm sure from the outside in, it looked great. Um, My internal experience, however, was I was tired a lot. I was stressed a lot. I was anxious a lot. I was depressed some of the time. I was was sick quite a bit because I was just exhausted. Um, But I I really think at that point, I was trying to run away from depression, my own depression, which I think, you know, my signature emotion at that point 
had switched from fear to sadness. And I, and I have this theory, and it's not been proven out, that we all have to get through the major signature emotions in life in order to get somewhere like contentment. So there's fear, sadness, and anger. So then, um, it, you know, and it worked. I got into a great college, uh, Pomona College, and then eventually got into a PhD program at Cal in psychology. But what I really wanted to know about was emotion because, you know, I was always a pretty smart guy, but what really tripped me up was when my emotional mind came out and took control of me and embarrassed me. And so I was like, what, what the hell are these things? And why can't I really get a handle on them? And got into Cal. More about that part, about what, what that means when your emotions would embarrass you. Oh, well, yeah, I can tell you a seminal story. Um, in middle school, I remember I, I, in sixth grade, I had a really, really good ability to find people's soft spots and go after them verbally. You know, there's always that put down competition, right? With among boys who can, who can rip each other apart. And I found I was really good at that. Um, I only did it for about six months because I quickly realized that I didn't like it when people did it to me. So I, then began uh, making fun of myself instead. But anyway, this one day I was um, being a smart ass and group of guys. And I I don't even remember what I said, but I do remember that the the eighth grade bully of the school walks up to me and he wasn't even in the group of people I was talking to and just punches me in the stomach hard. And it totally knocked the wind out of me because I had no idea this guy was going to punch me in the stomach. And I remember I had a hard time like it scared me. I started crying and I couldn't really get a hold of myself. And it was interesting because, you know, you talk about, or I talk a lot with my clients about core beliefs. And at that moment, my core belief about the world went from the world is a safe place to the world's a place where someone can randomly walk up and punch you in the stomach. So the world, you know, instantly became a more dangerous place. And so, you know, when you have core beliefs like that, I really think you need to look at them and challenge them and get back to um, more constructive core beliefs. Anyway, little aside. Um, so anyway, so my emotions came out then and really humiliated me. Like as a sixth grade boy, the last thing you want to do is cry in front of your friends. And at that point, if you would have given me the option of tearing my emotions out of my throat and leaving them in the gutter, I gladly would have done so. You know, I wanted to be Mr. Spock. Yeah. That's sad. That's a sad story, but also really instructive because like you said, those are the moments when our, our minds tend to make a decision about how the world is. And then if we never, if we never go back and revise it, we just stick with it for our lives. And and I think, you know, that's part of how we're socialized as men, right? Men don't feel men are invulnerable. Men are self-reliant. Men are dominant. Men are aggressive. Men are in control. And so when you don't, when you do exhibit these emotions, and when you do feel a lack of control, it's, it's embarrassing. And we don't like to be embarrassed. So that's what I mean about, you know, kind of emotions coming out and not being able to manage them and them embarrassing me. Totally. Okay, so back to your, so now you're, I think, now are you a PhD student? Yeah, so I'm a PhD student. Uh, I had my first anxiety attack, my first panic attack at new student orientation at Cal. Um, I only had, so I had a bachelor's at this point in philosophy and I get into Cal in a PhD program and there's five people in my class total. So there's no place to hide. And I realized that everyone in this whole department 
every new student has at least a bachelor's in psychology. If not, some of these guys had masters from Harvard or Yale. And I was like, what am I doing here? And I remember I, I had this conversation. We were in this big room with like, I don't know, 40, 50 people. And I, I asked this seventh year student, which means he had been at Cal in a PhD program for seven years. And I said, so what's your dissertation on? And he opened his mouth and started talking. And after about eight words out of his mouth, I had no clue what this guy was saying. And all of a sudden the thoughts started coming. You know, you don't belong here. You're not smart enough. You're not worthy. And immediately like heart rate went up, chest got tight, throat constricted, started perspiring. And I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. So I excused myself and ran to the bathroom. And I didn't even know that was a panic attack at the time. I found that out later. So then, you know, it's, it's kind of learning to deal with these things, figuring out what they are, putting a name on them, and then learning tools to master them. Um, and then let me just jump forward to the next signature emotion. So anger. So then uh, married my high school sweetheart. We had four children. Um, we'd been married at this point, I don't know, 13, 14 years. And we had a son who was oppositional defiant, which makes parenting really difficult. And it makes getting on the same page really difficult. And we would argue about that pretty frequently. And I remember there was one day where someone was stealing from everyone else in the house. And we knew who it was, but it's hard to catch them when there's four kids. So this one day, um, my youngest son went upstairs to take a shower in my room. And I remembered, I was like, oh shit, I left my wallet up there on my nightstand. So I ran up there, checked my wallet. I'd been counting the money in my wallet every time I put it down and realized he just swiped $40 out of my wallet. So, you know, he gets out of the shower. I said, Hey, you know, do you know why I'm sitting here? And he said, yeah. And I said, where is it? And he showed me in the, in a tin and I said, okay, so I need you to go to your room and I need you to stay there until your mom gets home. And we're going to talk about consequences then. Because at this point, my, my wife had already accused me of having an anger issue. And so he goes down to his room and what his pattern was, he would call his mom at work and lie to her. And his mom would believe him, even though he had a history of deceit and manipulation. So she's like, oh my God, like, that's terrible. Like, get out of the house, like go to your friend's house. So by the time I got downstairs, he's running out the front door with a shirt in hand, going to a friend's house. And I was stunned. I was like, and, and this would happen routinely. And I was like, you, do you realize you've just reinforced him stealing? If you haven't rewarded it, at least you've said it's okay. And, and this stuff was going on all the time. So when she said, you know, you've got an anger problem, I was like, okay, let me, let me look at that honestly. Let me work on that and see what I can do. And it's true. I was angry because crazy stuff was going on in the house. Um, so I, I started practicing these tools and I got to the point where even when she was yelling at me and I had done nothing wrong, I could stay calm because normally you're, the instinct is to meet anger with anger. Emotions are contagious. So without training, you can pick them up from other people. And so I remember this one time she was yelling at me and I'm just, you know, I'm used, I split my attention. So 70% of my attention is focused on her so I can respond appropriately. Yes, dear. I hear you. Uh-huh. The other 30% was in my head saying, this has nothing to do with you. Relax, breathe deeply. You're fine. Just let her keep going until she tires herself out. And I'm just repeating that in my head. 
And, you know, when you get to that point, it becomes really obvious who has the anger issue. And so at that point, I'd kind of learned how to manage anger, more or less. I mean, all these still kind of break through at times, but, you know, you want to be able to get a handle on it, I don't know, 90, 95% of the time. Um, and, and so I think that going through those sorts of experiences are, are really helpful. I also think that one of the experiences that I'm grateful for is going through a really contentious divorce from 2010 to 2013. And, you know, they say you don't really know someone until you divorce them. And, and this was very true in my case. Um, we didn't have much money to argue over. We agreed that we would go through mediation. And then I, you know, asked my wife to be honest about how much she actually made as a hairdresser. And she refused, left mediation and immediately got a high powered attorney. Um, the attorney pulled in my parents trying to get at their money. Um, she lied in almost every major financial piece of data entered into the courts. And this was, it, it became three and a half years of litigation, $300,000 in attorney's fees. It didn't have to be that way. And, you know, at the end, I, well, even during, I would look at it with gratitude, or at least I would try to and say, thank you for this difficult divorce. It's a great chance to practice my emotional management skills. Because it's hard to sit there in court while your wife is lying on the stand to a judge and not get mad. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you talk about the, the mastery element of, of this, it's interesting because we're talking about how a man can own his power and part of what prevents him from owning his power. And it sounds like what you're saying is, um, is learning how to work with your emotions is part of what it means to own your power as a man. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the biggest keys I would say, and I haven't thought deeply about this topic per se, but I would say, you know, self-confidence is part of it. Knowing your self-worth, I would say physical health is part of it because I think having a physical presence, um, having some muscle on your body, knowing how to move your body is a big part of it. And then to the extent that you can being calm, cool and collected, but to get to that point, it's, it's a journey without a doubt. Yeah. Because what you're saying isn't, you know, repress your emotions. I mean, that's, I think, like you said, when you were in middle school, I think a lot of most boys, maybe all boys in most America, men. Yeah. Well, boys who are that age get the message that they're not supposed to have emotions. And so when you, um, and I would imagine that you work with men like this, where they, you know, they, they're trying really hard to not have emotions, but what happens when you try really hard not to have emotions? I mean, what do you see in your, in your male clients who try not to have emotions? Well, so yeah, I mean, I see a lot of men and definitely adolescents and boys that their first, our first strategy is suppress. Like, don't feel that, don't feel that, don't feel that, be a man. And that only works for a limited period of time. And so, you know, what I see is, you know, I think of it as having a bucket of positive emotions and a bucket of negative emotions. And so we get these little irritants, resentments, hurts, angers, and little drop by drop, they fill up that bucket of negative emotion until that bucket gets so full that you get one more drop in it. And it doesn't have to be a big drop, 
and you lose your shit. You get angry at the wrong person, wrong time, wrong degree, wrong place. And then you're resent, you know, you're like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But the damage has been done. Yeah. Or you drink or smoke weed or do something else to numb because you don't really want to feel. Those right. Things. Well, or you, you know, there's exercise or shopping addictions. There's, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we deal with it. There's rationalization. You know, I'm, I'm just in my head. I'm not in my body. And the, you know, with the drinking thing, then you can say, well, I, I just did that because I was fucked up. I was just shit faced. You know, I, I went on that rage. I kicked my foot through a window, but I can excuse it because I was drunk. Totally. So when you were on your journey and you were going through this, were you aware of what you were doing? Like, were you consciously like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I mean, it sounds funny to say, but like, I'm going to master sadness or I'm going to master anger. or I'm going to, you know, work through these things or like, did you have help? Like, how did that work for you? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I, I remember at 16, I knew that a lot of things scared me. And somehow I knew that the best way to deal with those was to go right at them. So for instance, one of the reasons I was student body president or ran for it was because I was scared shitless of speaking in front of crowds. So I actually forced myself into a position where I would have to. In fact, I had to speak in front of the whole school. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I didn't have a choice. I just had to find a way through them. And you were also, you were in a psychology program. I'm curious if that, did that help? Did it hinder? Like, was it, did it put you in your head a lot? Did you get support from other people? You know, uh, that's a great that. question. Uh, there wasn't much at all about emotion at Cal. Cal's all about cognitive psychology, which is about how we think. And that's typical for most um, psych programs because thinking is easier to do research on than emotion. Emotion's really hard to do research on. It's squishy, hard to measure. Um, but I, I think that it definitely put me more in my head. It helped with rationalizations. Um, you do get a little bit of that medical, stu- medical school student syndrome where um, you tend to take on every mental illness that you've, you learn about. Um, but I think in general, it helped give me some strategies on the cognitive side of things because that's part of it, like learning to be more realistically optimistic, for example, or CBT, which is all about becoming aware of your negative thoughts writing them down and challenging them to see if they're true or not. That, so there was helpful pieces to it. It wasn't, I'm not sure if it was the most helpful things, but I knew that what I, I needed the Cal name behind me to really delve into the areas that I wanted to delve into, which was emotion. Yeah. So I'm curious now when you're, so let's start to move into now you're working with, with other people, um, especially men. and what did you notice in terms of why a man would like what we were talking about of what prevents a man from owning his power? Were there patterns that you noticed in terms of what prevents a man from doing that? And then, well, I think it it goes back to the way we're socialized. So I, there's this idea of the man box culture and that's basically that we get these rules or lessons that we internalize about what it means to be a man. And if you ask middle school students or high school, high school boys, males, what does it mean to be a man? You'll get a very consistent group of responses. And it's things like, don't feel, be invulnerable, don't be a girl, be self-reliant, be the provider in the family, know it all, uh, don't say no to sex, win at all costs. 
And so we start to live by these rules and then we feel shame if we get out of those rules. But the other part of it is that on an emotional level, when you're growing up as a male, if you show too much sadness or fear, someone could be a dad, could be a friend, could be a peer, could be a girlfriend, could be a coach, could be a teacher. Someone at some point will say something like, dude, stop being such a pussy. Don't be a bitch. Don't be a girl. And man up. Yeah, man up. I mean, there's, there's a variety of insults, but those are, you know, you get that and you go, oh shit, that feels terrible. I'm, that's embarrassing. I don't want to feel that again. So you jump back in the man box. And on the other side, if you show too much joy, love, um, excitement, flamboyance, someone will say something like, dude, don't be gay. Don't be such a fag. And so you jump back in the man box. And what are we left with that we can publicly display without fear of humiliation? We're left with three things. Lust. She's so hot. I do her. Stress. Because if I say I'm stressed, it implies that I'm busy and important. Or the big one, some degree of anger, irritation, frustration, annoyance, rage. And so most of our emotions get channeled through that anger lens. And that anger lens is kind of intoxicating because when I, if I really give in to anger, I feel like I'm in control. And partly because the anger dynamic is such that when I'm angry, everything is someone else's fault. And so I, I think that's one of the big false illusions that I'm a man, that I'm in power, that I'm in charge. And you see this in corporations a lot with, you know, let's say narcissists that rage at people and it works for them to a point and they can climb up the corporate ladder. And typically they top out at, you know, the VP level because then the numbers get thin and then the game gets exposed. But, you know, I think there's a lot of men and I've seen a lot of them that are very successful in business with that strategy, but then in their personal life, it's just wreckage. Yeah. And then on the other side of it too, like I know a lot of the clients that I work with, they don't want to be angry men. They've seen angry men. They've suffered at the hands of angry men and they are absolutely like, they don't want to be angry. They don't want to like go there. I'm curious, do you work with men like that as well? Do you see that pattern of sort of the flip side? Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, one of the um, ideas is that depression is internalized anger. And so you get, you know, there's varying degrees of depression, but you can get meek men, underconfident men, timid men that are afraid of their anger that won't embrace it. And, you know, I think we need a balance. Um, I, I'm a big fan of moderation. Man comes in to see me first. I'm immediately trying to figure out where are they on this spectrum, like anxiety? Where are they on this spectrum, sadness? Where are they on this spectrum of anger? Where are they on self-confidence, self-worth, communication, emotional literacy? And so I'm always trying to teach them skills to push them more towards the middle so they're able to moderate any one of those. Right, because I think that it's easy to sort of decide like, oh, anger is bad. Like, I just won't feel it or, mm -hmm. and that's really not um, necessarily the healthiest option. Um, obviously, there's how the anger is expressed, right? And I would argue that most people, men and women, don't have a lot of outlets for healthy anger. Right. And anger, anger's, anger's just an emotion. All these are just 
emotions. They're just messengers. They're just your body trying to send you a message like anger might be saying, hey, dude, there's something between you and a goal of yours, something between you and something you want, or there's a threat to your relationship right there. And so anger is just giving you a message. And, and I love the idea, the rule of thumb that, you know, let's say you're in a relationship or you're parenting, don't criticize the emotion, but you can you can criticize the behavior attached to it. For instance, um, I can get angry. If I yell at you and call you names, that's completely out of bounds. That's the behavior connected to it, me yelling. Anger is the emotion. So let's say the other way is I get angry and I say, you know, hey, Melanie, I'm getting a little bit frustrated right now. I need you to speak to me with respect or I need you to lower your, your volume you know, so whatever it is that's angering me, if I can speak to it in an assertive, calm, firm way, that's fine. That's what you're supposed to do, but that does take some work. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as a woman, I would say that passive aggression feels really unsafe to me. Right. Uh, so, um, like, I have a guy friend, and he <laughs> sometimes he'll. <laughs> He'll send me a passive aggressive text and I'll call him right away and say, are you, are you angry with me? Are you upset? Mm -hmm. And he'll say, yes. And I say, okay, I want you to say, I'm angry with you. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to send me a passive aggressive text. That doesn't feel safe. But actually, if you say I'm angry, that actually feels safe. There's something about saying it when a man can actually be aware of what he's feeling and then speak to it with me. That feels safe. Wow. And, and you bring up a really, really important point. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is this idea of safety and security. That I, and I really think that's where the empowerment of man rests. If you can speak your truth, if you can speak to your emotions while other people around you, while keeping their safety and security, that sense of safety, that's power. And, and let, me, let me just break this out because in, in individual psychology, we know that there's 10 positive emotions that we've shown in research. If you don't feel safe and secure, you effectively cut off half of those. You, won't, you don't even have the option of feeling half of those. And like if you're walking down, I don't know, a dark street in you know, San Francisco at two in the morning, if some guys in hoodies are coming at you, you don't feel safe and secure, you're not going to feel relaxed. You won't laugh. You won't feel a sense of awe. You know, there's, there's certain emotions you just eliminate. And it's the same thing in our relationships. If I come at you in anger and you don't feel safe and secure, and that's a pattern, then half of those positive emotions are eliminated for you, I would say, most of the time. We know that in parenting, you want your children to feel safe and secure. We know in, in corporations, there was a, a study done by Google recently looking at what are the biggest predictors of a successful team the one thing they came out with was psychological safety. That's right. What gets in the way of safety? Anger, sarcasm, passive aggressive, put downs. And, and so that, that safety and security becomes paramount to me. It's, you know, what can I do as a man to make others around me feel safe and secure while I'm true to myself and my values and I'm still speaking out regarding my emotions and what I feel? And that's a tall order. It is. And it's a, it's a process to get there. And that's, I think, um, kind of what it sounds like both of us work with in terms of our clients, because I know for, for, for me, what I see in a lot of my clients is 
they're coming in and there's usually something that they're using to numb the emotions that they don't want to feel and they haven't wanted to feel for a really long yeah. time. And then once we work with those, so some of them are smoking weed, some is porn addiction. Um, sometimes it's sugar, sometimes it's television, sometimes gaming. A lot of these guys are sitting yeah. in the rooms gaming a lot. Games, sure. Uh, alcohol, things like that. And then as those get removed, this the the other deeper emotions start to come up. And that's when I know at least for me, and I'm curious for you, um, I like to normalize things like rage. Like a lot of what comes up for my guys is is grief, unfelt mm-hmm. grief from many, many things over the course of their life and rage. And they've never been able to work with rage or anger before because they've only seen it done poorly. They've only seen a basically toxic masculine version of it, which is lashing out and taking out their anger on someone else. And that's what I kind of, I'm curious about for you in terms of outlets, that's obviously not the right, you know, move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So do you work with your clients on like, what is the right move yeah. when, when the rule does come up? There's a yeah. lot there to unpack. I mean, and the first thing is, it's funny. I, when I first started this work, I remember I used that phrase toxic masculinity once and I swore I'm never going to use that again. And the reason is that when I use that phrase, it makes individual men, it puts them on the defensive thinking they've done something wrong or are wrong, which is why I like talking about the culture and how we're socialized because that's at a broader level. And we didn't ask to be socialized that way. We're just, it just happens. So it's not our fault. It's just our responsibility to evolve past it. Um, as far as the the other part of the question, I, I think that a lot of times what we find or, or where I've been going lately is this idea of trauma and that, you know, trauma is kind of anything that disconnects us from a feeling of safety and security. And the more traumatized we are, it can be, you know, one big trauma or a series of little traumas that accumulate. But the more that we get, either our parasympathetic or pardon me, the sympathetic nervous system can be on a hair trigger or it's always on. And that's a physiological response, which is the fight, flight, freeze response, which usually translates to anxiety, not always, but usually. And so with a lot of the men I see, there's a high level of anxiety. And once you get that calmed down, then underneath that, you can find things like sadness, anger, rage, and, and so I find that I often have to calm that anxiety to get to a deeper level of emotion. And then once we get there, then we've got to, and you're right. I mean, normalizing it is definitely the way to go because they're just emotions, right? They're not good or bad. It's just how we feel. I, I think the, the secret sauce is in learning how to deal with the emotions, you know, whether it's cognitively or physiologically or coming up with tools to communicate about them. Totally. And so when you were on your journey, um, did you find that anything was particularly helpful in terms of healthier outlets for something like anger? Um, I think lifting weights is a great way to go for anger. I think that um, journaling about it, I think that talking to other people about it, I think that learning how to be appropriately assertive, which is that idea of speaking up to it um, in a calm but firm way. And So think of anger on a one to 10 scale in intensity. So one is calm, 10 is like incredible Hulk enraged, and five is kind of angry. And one of the things I tell all my men is, you've got to spend more time in the present moment. You've got to start turning your attention to your body 
and spend less time in your head, which is where we are rewarded for being most of our lives. And you want to get on anger before it reaches that five on that scale. Because once it passes a five, you literally become anger. The rational part of you goes away. And you just, you do things and say things that you will regret later. And you can't be reasoned with. And on the other hand, if you get to it at a three or four or five, and you're like, hmm, I'm starting to get annoyed or I'm getting frustrated, what's going on? Then you can speak to it in a rational way and diffuse it most times. And so that's really one of the better ways to go about doing it. Right. So um, I think it's interesting that this is where the conversation has has come to in terms of um, maybe what prevents a man from owning his power and then what has him moving into owning his power. Because um, kind of like you said, it, it sort of feels like it's the opposite of what boys are taught, which is don't feel and that's right. what will make you a man. And, and it's actually feel <laughs> like feel and speak up about what you're feeling. And that's what makes you a powerful man. Right. And would you agree? I, definitely. And I think the other part of it is it, it's also, it makes you a happier man. I, I mean, the problem that I have with a lot of the way that we're socialized is it effectively cuts us off from, I don't know, 70% of emotion. And the, the problem with that is happiness is by definition an emotional experience. So happiness, contentment, joy, love, romanticism, all those are emotions. And if we're cut off from emotion, then we're cut off from the possibility of being happy. And that's, that's just tragic to me. And would you say that that's one of the transformations that you see in your clients or with the men that you work with, where you, you sort of teach them? I mean, basically part of what you're teaching them is how to own their power. Because what we're talking about is how to feel your feelings and then how to be able to speak to them in the world with other people. Would you say that, that they end up feeling happier and more content, more contented in their lives? Absolutely. I, I mean, and, and part of it is from discovering their true purpose or meaning. Part of it is from learning more about the, the negative emotions and how to manage those. But a big part of it to me is how do you, is being more aware of the positive emotions out there, catching them when you experience them, savoring them or extending them in time, like learning to lengthen them. And, you know, the negative emotions scream at us. When you're angry, you know damn well you're angry. But positive emotions are quiet. They're fleeting. They're fragile. They whisper to you. And so you have to get practiced at being aware when you feel awe or joy or surprise or curiosity or contentment or relaxation all these things can be, you, you can put conditions into your day-to-day -day existence where you're going to experience these more frequently and by definition, be happier more of the time. So that's a big part of it as well. That's a really good point. It's like cultivating joy, like noticing when you feel those emotions and savoring them, like you said, because I think part of what you're speaking to is that neurologically, when we extend those emotions, then we're building up those pathways in our brain so that we can feel them more right of sort of skipping over them and you know i've dealt with a lot of first responders and and special ops guys that they haven't truly felt relaxed in 10 plus years so that sympathetic nervous system is just locked 
into the on position where they're hypervigilant, where they're always slightly anxious, where they're always on guard and looking for that next shoe to drop. You know, it's the cop that can't sit with his back facing the door because he's afraid of what might come in. And, and so, you know, we really have to learn how to relax that and turn that sympathetic nervous system off at times so that we can turn, so we have a chance of turning on the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the relaxation response. It's the rest and digest response. It's where your positive emotions reside. Yeah, that's a really good point and kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier about if you don't feel safe, it's really hard to feel positive stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's the prerequisite for for all the really good stuff in, in life. Yeah. And, and one of the hallmarks in positive psychology for a happy, thriving life, and there's there's other pieces to it, but it's a three to one ratio of positive emotion to negative emotion. Now, the reason I like that is because it doesn't matter where you are right now. And when I started this work, I was the inverse of that. I was three times as much negative emotion as positive emotion. And it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is you become aware of it and then you slowly improve the ratio over time. I love that. That, that feels, that feels good. That feels really doable. Do you have any? Um, Yeah, I think I would narrow it down to kind of what are some of the primary issues? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it confidence? Is it relationship? Is it at work? Is it at home? Um, Because that impacts a lot of things. But to me, I believe that all of this has an underlying emotional layer and that's where we kind of have to go to and explore. And, and there's nothing scary about it. It's just a matter of learning to tune into your body, spending more time in the present moment, learning to put the right label on what you're feeling and then learning how to speak to it. And then, you know, there's other pieces of it, finding your meaning and purpose, improving relationship skills, but it's all doable in the sense that these are all proven learnable skills. And if you think of it like a video game, like you're leveling up your character and you just do it a little bit at a time in one area of your life. And then you can focus on another area and level up that area. And pretty soon you got a really good solid life that you've got some pride in. You've got some self-confidence, some self-worth, you can relax into it. And then you're experiencing more positive emotions. And then you got a pretty good, pretty happy life. Cool. I like that. I really like that. I like the the building skills. And I think that's, I just want to echo that, that that's what I've seen. Yeah. And a lot of my clients is this stuff works. It works. It It takes time, but it works. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, cool. Hey guys, just a reminder to join the Big Sexy Data Set. This is my group of men and women, but mostly men, um, who take my surveys and who I get to do research with. So I would love for you to participate. This month's theme is owning your power as a man, and that's what the survey is on. And I really would love more participation, more men to join the Big Sexy Data Set so that we have a wider range of views. You can join by emailing dearmenpodcast at gmail.com and just saying, I'd like to join. And the last um, podcast episode of the month is going to be a listener panel of men talking about their survey results. So if you're interested in that, just check that box when you go through the survey. And if you're not interested, all of your survey results can remain anonymous. You do not have to be on the podcast. But if you want to participate, I would love to have you. And one thing that sort of struck me as I was listening to it was the idea of evolving as a man. And I wanted to reiterate 
something we touched on but didn't go into depth about, which is you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. And I really want to emphasize that it's a great idea to get into community around these things, including emotional expression and brotherhood and all of that stuff. I work with men alongside my co-coach, Jason Lang, as we've mentioned a few times on the podcast. If you're interested in seeing if there might be a fit there, I suggest that you start with our free training. It's called How to Take Control of Your Dating Life, and it's for men who are either single or going through a breakup, like a divorce, um, or just want a better sort of sex and dating life overall. You can find that at evolutionary.men slash training. And part of what we talk about in that is the importance of brotherhood and community and fellowship and just having a tribe. So if you're interested in having a tribe and you think that we might be a fit, take that training and see if there's something there for you. And we will see you next time.